through fifth grade are invited to attend Children's Church. Good morning, church. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name's Cody. I'm the senior pastor. And uh, what a privilege it is to worship with you today. If you have a Bible with you, would you please open to the book of Joshua? And we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, I really want to encourage you to use that pew Bible in front of you. And I'll give you a shortcut. You'll find Joshua chapter 1 on page 184 in the pew Bible. And uh, today I am representing our youth group with the nicest shirt I own. Uh, this weekend, our student ministry had their uh, kickoff event called Reset, and uh, I don't know about you, if, uh, if, if I were a teenager connected to this church, I'd want to be all in on this youth group. Incredible group of leaders and students. It's amazing what God is doing in the lives of our teenagers, and I'm so proud of the students in our church. Uh, this is the closest thing I have to a holy garment, this shirt right here, and so I'm proud to wear it today and uh, to represent our student ministry. Uh, so Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 to 18 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Do you remember that guy in high school who drove the nicest car, but he treated it like trash and he was a jerk. You remember that guy? Uh, it wasn't me. I, I drove a crummy car and was a jerk, but that guy, he drove a nice car and he was a jerk. And I, look, it, I just always thought, you maybe always thought, if that was my car, if I had that nice car, I would treat it with respect, uh, I would value it, I would appreciate it, I'd be generous with it. There was a guy that uh, we went to college with, and he drove a Corvette, this small little school, he drove a Corvette, and he parked it wherever he wanted. And so he drove all over campus with his windshield wipers lined with parking tickets. He didn't care, did not care. And I just thought, man, if I had that... I would, I would just, I, I would be changed by it. It's a problem when rotten people receive a lavish gift and then remain rotten. It's, it's a problem for cool guys in high school, and it was a concern for God's people, Israel, as they camped on the border of the promised land. They were finally on the cusp of taking this land called Canaan. This was a most lavish gift that God had promised long ago to his people. But God's primary concern for his people was not just a change in their zip code, but it was a change in their character. God's concern wasn't just giving them the lavish gift. It was molding them so that they are the right kinds of people to possess the gift. You see, you can move into the promised land, but not be a person of promise. So over and over in these opening chapters of the book of Joshua, God is teaching his people how to be his people. He's going to mold them into promised land people. And so it is for the church today. It matters to God what kind of people we are. It matters to God how we live among each other. We have been given the most lavish gift 
of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that gift comes with an obligation of obedience. That's the way God has always been. When it comes to his people, he delivers and then he demands. He rescues and then he requires. And so it's vital that you and I would live as promised land people. It's not enough to just say we possess the promise of salvation. We must be shaped by our salvation. And to be specific, Joshua chapter 1 verses 10 to 18 teaches us about the selfless character of God's people. Rotten people who receive the bounty of heaven through faith in Christ are turned into selfless people like Christ. And Christian people who are selfless are the most amazing people. Think of your own heroes of the faith, the women and the men who you admire for their walk with Christ, the the purity of their faith. Are they not selfless people? The giants among us in terms of faith, they are the most sacrificial, self-giving people among us. Those are our heroes. Now, conversely, can can you think of someone who has claimed the name of Christ and yet they were arrogant, combative, prideful, self-centered. Those people are problems. I sometimes lean that way. You sometimes lean that way when our self-centeredness rears its ugly head. Are you aware of your own self-centeredness? What damage has been caused by your me-first actions? Our passage today in Joshua 1 shows us that selflessness is a vital characteristic of God's people. If this lesson were vital for Israel on the border of the promised land, how much more essential is it for us who have seen Christ lay down his life on the cross? How much more vital is it for us who have received the free gift of salvation through faith in Christ? So what does selflessness look like in God's people? Joshua chapter 1 verses 10 to 18 gives us three descriptions of godly selflessness. Follow along with me as I read Joshua chapter 1 starting in verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves for within three days you will be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. Joshua said to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, remember what Moses, the Lord's servant, commanded you when he said, the Lord your God will give you rest and he will give you this land. Your wives, dependents, and livestock may remain in the land Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but your best soldiers must cross over in battle formation ahead of your brothers and help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he has given you, and they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. You may then return to the land of your inheritance and take possession of what Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on the east side of the Jordan. They answered Joshua, everything you have commanded us we will do and everywhere you send us we will go. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses in everything. 
Certainly the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your words in all that you commanded him will be put to death. Above all, be strong and courageous. So we have three speaking parts in this passage. Joshua speaks first to his leaders who speak to the people, and then Joshua speaks to these two and a half tribes, and then the two and a half tribes speak back to Joshua. That simple little three-part structure helps us get a picture, a better understanding of what godly selflessness looks like because that's what's on display here in the second half of Joshua chapter 1. So what does godly selflessness look like? Three things. First of all, godly selflessness is leaders who give the words of God. It's leaders who give the words of God to the people they're in charge of. So it's important to remember what happened in this chapter just before verse 10. And if you were with us last week, you'll remember that this book opens with God giving Joshua the most amazing pump-up speech ever. Joshua is weak and afraid. Moses is dead. He's got these people he has to take care of. There's a raging river between him and the fulfillment of God's promise. The promised land is filled with warring people who don't want to give up their real estate. There's a lot to be afraid of. And so God spoke to Joshua strength and encouragement and called him to carefully follow his instructions, to meditate on his word day and night. And Joshua leaves that speech, and what does he do? He gives the words of God to his people. Look at what Joshua said to them. Look what he commanded his leaders in verse 11. He said, go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves, for within three days you'll be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. Now, where did Joshua get a speech like that? Well, look at what God said to Joshua back in verse 2. God said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I'm giving the Israelites. So Joshua took the words that God spoke to him, and he gave those instructions to his leaders to then give to the people. So when the people hear these words, it's almost as if they were standing by Joshua during his audience with the Lord. Joshua showed godly selflessness when he obeyed God's instructions and gave those instructions to the people. How important is this sort of selflessness among those who lead our churches today? It's absolutely essential. Brothers and sisters, it is vital that your pastors and elders be selfless in their leadership. When arrogance and pride show up in my life, I need your correction. And should I resist that correction for the sake of the church and the sake of the gospel and the sake of my own soul, remove me from my office. Uh, I am not worth arrogance and pride and the destruction that comes with that from a seat of influence. But I am required by God and must be held accountable by you to be selfless in my leadership as it is with all our pastors and our elders and the leaders in our church. There are many metrics by which my job performance should be measured. 
But key among them must be the question of whether or not I am giving the church the words of God. Am I giving you what God says? When we gather on Sunday mornings, what happens in this moment? Are you getting the words of Cody? Are you getting the words of God? Are you getting my political views or are you getting the words of God? Are you getting my rant of the day or are you getting the word of God? I have to give you the word of God. That's all I have to give and nothing else. You got to hold me to that. You got to hold all your spiritual influencers to that. I encourage you to use that same metric when you listen to sermons and clips of sermons online. Are these the words of God? Those words might be motivational, they might be inspirational, they might be cloaked in Christianese, but that doesn't mean they're the words of God. Friends, don't give your souls to godless babble. Be editorial about who you allow to shepherd you. So if a person with a microphone and bad hair dye says, God told me, the next words out of their mouth better be the faithful words of Scripture and nothing more. Because godly selflessness looks like leaders who give the words of God that is sufficient, that is inspired, that is authoritative, that is life-changing. Godly leaders don't manufacture these words or guess at these words. They give the church the very words of God. So that's what selflessness looks like in this first regard. It's leaders giving the words of God to God's people. Well, there's a second description of godly selflessness in this passage, and that's that godly selflessness is radical other-mindedness. It's radical other-mindedness. In verses 12 to 16, Joshua turns his talking from the leaders of the people to these two and a half tribes, Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Who are these two and a half tribes? Why are they set apart from everyone else? Well, the nation of Israel had long ago been divided into 12 tribes. These are three of those tribes, two and a half of those tribes, if we're being specific with our math. And the reason these two and a half tribes are set aside or set apart in this passage is because of something that happened back in Numbers chapter 32. If you really want to get the weight of this passage, you need a bit of familiarity with Numbers chapter 32. Let me tell you what happens there. Back in Numbers chapter 32, uh, the nation of Israel, led by Moses, arrived to this region on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So they're at the same sort of place, the same location that they are in Joshua chapter 1. Just as a tip, when you're reading through the book of Joshua, it might, handy, might be handy to have a map nearby. There's a lot of geography, and it can clarify sort of this mental map for you, this mental picture of where are we and, and what's going on. The, the back of your Bible might have some maps, and so you might find one likely there that says uh, the tribal allotment of Canaan. Uh, or uh, we've got some maps that we printed off and have available out of here in the upper lobby. Grab one, stick it in the back of your Bible, and you can use it during our study of Joshua. So here they are on the eastern side of the Jordan River. That's the border outside of the promised land. And in Numbers chapter 32, two of the tribes come to Moses. 
the Reubenites and the Gadites come to Moses and they say, hey, this land is really nice. We know it's not promised land proper, but this promised land adjacent property, this is great for us. You, Moses, you know we're livestock people. And this place is perfect for raising livestock. So let us have this land here just outside the promised land. Let, let this be our inheritance instead of crossing the Jordan into the promised land. And when Moses heard this, he lost it. He went to DEFCON 1 immediately because he thought these tribes were being selfish. They wanted their own property here and now and didn't care about the rest of Israel. And so listen to what Moses said to these tribes in Numbers chapter 32. It starts in verse 6. Moses says, should your brothers go to war while you stay here? Why are you discouraging the Israelites from crossing into the land the Lord has given them? That's what your ancestors did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. And here you, a brood of sinners, stand in your ancestors' place, adding even more to the Lord's burning anger against Israel. Moses' fear is that they're making the same mistake their ancestors did. That when Moses led them to the southern border of the promised land, Kadesh Barnea, they all said, can't do it, too scary, too much war, too many weapons in the promised land, we can't go in. And because of that, that whole generation died under the judgment of God as Israel wandered in the wilderness. So Moses thinks they are recreating this disobedience and he warns them, if you do this, God's going to have a say in it. Well, the tribes responded to Moses, and they said, uh, look, yeah, Moses, we want to build our lives in this land, but we're not going to abandon Israel as we do this. Uh, rather, here's what we'll do. We will commit uh, to be front lines people. When we go into war, when we cross over, we'll be at the front lines, our soldiers at the front. We'll leave our livestock and our families and our land. We will go and we will not return to our homes until all of Israel possesses the land. So Moses agrees to this. All right, you can have this property on the eastern side of the Jordan River, outside the promised land, on the condition that when the day comes, your soldiers lead the way into battle. Joshua reminds them of this speech. It's the Reubenites, the Gadites. It's half of the tribe of Manasseh. The other half had settled in the promised land. So you kind of have an east Manasseh and a west Manasseh. And so they, uh, they all have settled. They have built lives. They have families and livestock and homes and property lines. They have all these things. And Joshua says, remember what you committed to Moses. Remember what you committed to do. And so now it's time for you to keep your commitment and to do what you have said you would do for the sake of the people and for the sake of the Lord. So Joshua, having reminded them of this, gives them an ethic to follow. It's an ethic that we see consistently throughout all of Scripture for God's people. He's calling them to be other-minded. It's not enough that they have their place in the promised land. Uh, what is required of them is that all of God's people receive the promise, inherit the promise that God has extended to them. Promised land people are other-minded. Otherwise, they're not 
promised land people. If our thoughts and concerns are not with the good and the benefit of our brothers and sisters, then we're not the kind of people that God has saved us and called us to be. So what does it look like for you and I to be promised land people? You probably are short on livestock today to leave behind and go help someone else. You, you, so what does it mean for us to take an ethic that's displayed among these ancient peoples in Joshua 1 and to put that into our lives uh, here and now? Well, we have help from the Apostle John. Really, we could look at any number of places in Scripture, but I think what John says in 1 John chapter 3 is most instructive and helpful for us. And so look at this with me. Let me read it to you. And I want you to think about Joshua 1 while John uh, contextualizes this other-mindedness for us. He said, this is how we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech but in action and in truth. So when you take the other-mindedness of Joshua chapter 1 and you run it through the cross, the result is so grand that we can hardly comprehend what we are reading this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. Uh, who is the he? The he there is Jesus. He is God the Son, the eternal word, the creator, the light of men, the word made flesh, the lamb of God, the son of God, the word of life, our advocate, our atoning sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the one and only sacrifice for our sin. He laid down his life. The eternal God, the creator, entered his creation and he took on flesh. He was born to a virgin and given the name Jesus. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he was executed on a cross. His death was not an unexpected event that needed later historians to write and revise to make sense of. This was God's plan since before creation. He laid down his life. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He laid down his life for us. Who are we? We are dead in our sin. We are by nature objects of God's wrath for our sin against him. We are the reason the world is the way that it is. We are people who are filled with hate for God and hate for each other. We are enemies of God, and yet Jesus laid down his life for us. Did you, did you know this? If you're not a follower of Jesus, did you know how much you're loved? And you're not loved by God because of the good you've accomplished and the bad you've avoided. You are loved by him because that's the kind of God he is. We are undeserving by every standard, by every metric, and yet he loves us and he has made a way for you to know salvation, to be rescued from the penalty of your sin. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you need to think deeply about that today. To see in Jesus the sort of other-mindedness that, that doesn't just uh, lead you in the life you're to live, but it's the very way you are saved. Because your sin against God is profound. And your need for rescue is immediate. 
And so today, even in this Joshua 1 passage, we hear the voice of Christ calling you to turn from your sin and turn to him in faith and there find forgiveness and rescue for your souls. And once Jesus is your savior, well then you'll begin to live out the ethics of the kingdom of God. You see, John says that since Jesus laid down his life for us, we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So for those two and a half tribes outside the promised land, we would call them the Transjordan tribes. Well, that meant they were required to care for the rest of the tribes of Israel. But for you and I, what it means is uh, caring for our Christian brothers and sisters in our local church as well as the global church. And John doesn't leave us guessing as to what it means to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In verse 17, he says, if anyone has this world's goods, is that you? Do you have goods of the world? You do. He's talking about you. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech but in action and in truth. So we're to meet each other's needs. We lay down our lives in tangible ways with our own stuff. John tells us uh, not to just love in word or speech, but in action and truth. And so let's replace the word action with other action words. We might love with shovels and truth, or love with snowblowers and truth, or love with casseroles and truth, or love with paying a bill and truth, or love with giving a ride and truth. Love with our wallets and truth. That's what promised land people do. There's no other way for recipients of Christ's love to live than through radical, other-minded, selfless generosity. And that's what's on display here in Joshua chapter 1. They give us a foreshadowing of what Christ is in the supreme and the ethic that you and I are called to live by. So what does godly selflessness look like? It's leaders giving God's word. It's an other-minded church. And finally, godly selflessness is formed by obedience to God's command. It's formed by obedience to God's command. So Joshua has spoken to the Transjordan tribes. Here's what's required of you. And now this last paragraph, they answer Joshua. And look at how they respond, starting in verse 16. They answer Joshua, everything you've commanded us, we will do. And everywhere you send us, we will go. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses in everything. And certainly the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your words and all that you command him will be put to death. Above all, be strong and courageous. I love that last line, be strong and courageous. If you remember God's speech to Joshua, that was a focal point of it. Over and over, God hit that note to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And Joshua hears it again from these tribes uh, here at the end of chapter 1. But the focal point of this paragraph is not strength and courage. It is obedience. I don't know if you caught that as it's repeated over and over again. In verse 16, the tribes commit to do what Joshua commands. In verse 17, they say, we will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. In verse 18, anyone who doesn't obey, they're going to be punished. So obedience is the main concern of this paragraph. 
And when you and I live in obedience to God's commands, the result is going to be godly selflessness. When these tribes obey Joshua, who is giving them the words of God, the result is going to be selflessness on their part. They will sacrifice for the sake of the rest of Israel. They will leave their wives, their children, their livestock, their property. It's going to be seven years before they come back. They're going to be gone that long in commitment to their brothers and sisters. It's obedience that shapes that selflessness. The more they obey the words of God, the greater their selflessness will be. And the same is true for us. Obedience to God doesn't puff up the individual, doesn't make us argumentative or arrogant or combative. It results in our commitment to each other. Obedience to God benefits every one of your relationships. I mean, don't we see this in the Ten Commandments? In the Ten Commandments, the first four of those commands are about our relationship with God, but the last six are about our relationships with each other. Our obedience to the commands of God results in healthy, proper, loving, other-minded relationships. And so if obeying the commands of God will lead to better relationships, wouldn't it be helpful if we had a list of all those commands that we could carry around with us and just focus on what are the commands, what do I got to do that's going to help my relationships, help me be selfless with the people around me. It, that would be helpful. And there is such a list found in the Bible, and it's not nearly as long as you might think. And it's spoken by Jesus, and it's found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. And you're familiar with this. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Here's this connection between command and love, obedience and selflessness. If we obey the command to love God and to love our neighbor, then we've obeyed all the law and the prophets. Jesus over and over puts this in front of his followers, that obedience results in love to other people. One of the holiest days on our worshiping calendar is the Thursday before Easter. In the tradition of the church, it's called Maundy Thursday. And that word Maundy, is, it's a corruption of the Latin word mandatum, which means command. Maundy Thursday is command Thursday. What's the command we're thinking of on Maundy Thursday? From John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, that you would love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. The command is to love. Maundy Thursday is so that we would live Mondi every day, loving our brothers and sisters, selfless, other-minded, for their benefit and for their good, just as Christ has loved us. Throughout Scripture, love is an inward emotion and an outward action. And so as you and I think about the ethic of sacrifice on display in Joshua 1 and run that through the cross of Christ, it's going to lead us to any number of different applications. 
Let me share with you one place in my life where I've been challenged recently in the area of love. I was in a conversation uh, with a brother in our church a few months ago, someone I'm incredibly fond of. And at the end of that conversation, he said, hey, I love you, Cody. And I responded very quickly back, I love you. But it stuck with me. He had never said that to me before. I'd never said that to him before. If anyone else had asked me, how do you feel about that guy? I would have said, I love that guy. But I would never tell him that. Culturally, that seems strange. There's, there's a right time and a right... And then when do you just drop the L-bomb on your bro and say, I love you? You can't just grab him by the ears and be like, I love you! Because then it gets weird. So when are you supposed to do that? I don't, I don't know, but I just, I thought about that. And I thought, I, I love this guy, and why have I not told him that? And there are a lot of people I love, and why do I not tell them that more and more? I mean, my immediate family, yes, of course. I, I'm verbal with them about my love for them, but I don't always do that with the person right across from me. And so in recent months, I've been trying to be more direct with that, to be more thoughtful about telling the people in front of me, hey, I love you. Now, immediately you're thinking, well, Cody hasn't told me he loves me. Look, <laughs> I, it's not you, it's me. I, <laughs> I'm a work in progress. We're, uh, I'm getting there. It's okay, all right? I do love you. Um, and uh, I, I'm working on being more intentional with articulating that. And maybe you should be that way also. Maybe you should think about it. Maybe we should be the kind of church who, because of the love of Christ to us, spoken to us over and over, can speak it to one another without weirdness, without awkwardness, in all sincerity. I love you. So let's obey the command of love in the least by verbalizing it. And then let's Obey the command to love in all the ways Scripture prescribes. Let us speak love. Let us show love. Let us obey the commands of God. And so Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 to 18, it teaches us about godly selflessness. From Joshua to the leaders to the people to the tribes, selflessness is on display. And so what does that selflessness look like? It's leaders who give people the words of God. It's radical other-mindedness in the church, and it's obedience to the commands of God. Will you strive to be selfless? Will you live your life among people in such a way that when they talk about you in your absence, they say, she is a selfless woman. He is a self-sacrificing man. She is like Christ. He is like Christ in their other-mindedness. Will you pray and ask God to give you the heart of Christ for other people? The emotion of the day is not selflessness. It's anger. It's outrage. Every ounce of media you consume is just laced with anger. And to be sure, there's no shortage of things for you to be angry about today. So in light of that, some might think that selflessness is not a proper response. Oh, I, I'm angry, and so I need to fight. I've got to get mean. I've got to get aggressive. And so selflessness to some people seems like defeat or weakness 
or losing. But I ask you, was Jesus defeated at the cross? Was Jesus weak when he bore the wrath of God for your sins? Was Jesus a loser when he laid down his life? His selflessness defeated the darkness and brought light and life to everyone who believes in him. So if the cross has changed your life, shouldn't you also take up your cross and follow Jesus? If you were to evaluate the relationships in your life, where do you need to practice godly selflessness? If you worshiped with us this summer, you heard in the book of Colossians a challenge to be a certain way among the people in your lives. Who needs you to be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, or forgiving just as the Lord has forgiven you? I want to challenge you to make this your prayer this week. To pray from Joshua chapter 1 and from John 13, Lord, help me obey your command to love just as you have loved me. This is a prayer that God will answer yes to every time because he wants you to live in the promised land today. Let's pray together. Lord, help us in this because we are not by nature humble, sacrificial, selfless people. Just as our mothers, a mother and father, Adam and Eve, lived to their own flesh, so do we. And so we need a different heart. We need a heart like Christ. Thank you that it is the selflessness of Christ that has won our salvation at the cross. And today, would you bring new life to the one who would turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus for their salvation? I know you will. Lord, make your call clear on their heart today. Open the, their eyes of faith to believe in Christ and to be rescued from their sin. And God, I pray that you would mold us as your promised land people, that we would live selfless lives among each other, as is modeled in Joshua chapter 1, and as rescued us through Christ's sacrifice at the cross. Help us to be those who love much, without apology, without awkwardness, but with great faith, knowing that it's your love that has changed our lives, and that same love that will continue to change our world until the day Christ comes again. So, Father, make us a loving people, a selfless people, a Christ-like people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.